Tuesday, May 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hale. With me, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. We've got some retail. We've got some entertainment news. Uh, we're going to start with Walmart. <laughs> we're going to start with the biggest of the, of the retailers out there. Uh, Walmart, same store sales in the first quarter were up 10%. E-commerce yeah. sales were up 74%. They hired 200,000 workers, Jason. A lot. That's staggering. It is. It is. I mean, it, you know, it was a. I mean, it, it was a good quarter, certainly in 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 what is a tough time. I mean, some companies are clearly. I mean, you hate to say benefiting from this, but the fact of the matter is there are some tailwinds from this that some companies benefit uh, from, and Walmart is definitely one of them. And I think for for the longest time, you know, we saw e-commerce succeeding because of desire, right? It was people's desire to not necessarily have to go to the store and to be able to have stuff uh, just shipped to them. I mean, now it's it's obviously the, the, the landscape has changed a little bit. Even pre-COVID, it was really more about becoming omni-channel. And I think that Walmart made a lot of investments, um, a lot of good investments to, to become the omni-channel. And now, really, that business is succeeding out of necessity, right? I mean, there there is, I mean, the landscape is considerably different. It's going to be different for some time to come. And I think this probably does shape consumer behavior to a degree going forward. I, I mean, we're, we're not, you know, we're not going to be People, people aren't going to just give up going out and going shopping anymore. But, but it really does show that the investments in becoming an, an omnichannel retailer are paying off for, for Walmart. And just to look at some of the numbers, um, I, I mean, yeah, the top line, like you mentioned, growing almost 10% excluding currency effects. Uh, I mean, if, if you try to, let's put these numbers in perspective with what was going on the same quarter last year. And, and if we look at last year in this same quarter, the the U.S. comp sales for Walmart were 3.4 percent, and that marked the best quarter one comp in nine years. Okay, and and this year that comp number is is obviously clearly grown considerably. I mean, we're talking about a company that grew their e-commerce sales 74 percent this year versus 37 percent a year ago. Uh, talking about Sam's Club comps up 12% versus 0.3% a year ago. Uh, so, I, I mean, you're seeing a business that's clearly performing a lot better this year. Now, granted, there is a catalyst, there is a reason for that, but I think that success is also because of all of the, the investments they've been making all along the way. And if you look at the five-year chart of the, the stock performance, um, I mean, that does make a lot of sense. That stock performance is really following along with all of the investments uh, and the performance the business continues to chalk up. They're not only hiring 200,000 new workers. They are also spending money expanding benefits, uh, employee bonuses, and uh, and as we expected, costs are going up in part because they are taking extra steps to uh, make sure that the stores are as clean as possible. Absolutely. Is, you, know, you would expect that. Yeah, you would expect that. I mean, we're seeing that across the board with, with big retailers. Um, they, they, they mean, operating expenses have gone up considerably this quarter. They're going to go up considerably here, I think, going forward. I mean, I think we are going to see um, the cost of, of doing business is just going to, to go up 
in perpetuity here. I think for for uh, retailers, for restaurants, I mean, I think any any business that incorporates consumer traffic in some way, shape, or form, it just the cost of business is going up. Um, you know, I think that when I when I look at Walmart. It, Today, I mean, my, my big question, I guess, when you look at it, what they said in regard to this quarter, uh, they talked about the impacts of, of this this quarter. They, they use the word significantly, right? I mean, this this quarter, this COVID nineteen crisis is impacting their business significantly in in both good ways and bad ways. Now, it's one thing to be able to uh, serve a role. As they have, as as a as a part of the greater solution, right? In in being able to get consumers what they want, when they when they want it, what they need, when they need it. It's one thing to get consumers into your world and using your services, using your store once or for a for a a, a period of time. It, it's another question entirely to get people in there and keep them in there, right? And that's what we've seen for the longest time. We've always talked about companies like Costco and Amazon doing such a good job of not only getting those customers in there, but then keeping those customers. And I think that based on on the numbers that we're seeing Walmart continue to chalk up here quarter in and quarter out, it does look like they're doing a very good job of getting customers in and then keeping them in, right? I mean, this is a big market opportunity. We're not just talking about, you know, this new retail space being ultimately Amazon's to, to win or lose. I mean, as with, as with most large market opportunities, there's room for you know multiple winners. And I think that Walmart is showing uh, that they will be able to, to be one of the winners in the space. I think noteworthy, you know, they're, they're talking about the fact they are going to be uh, essentially phasing out the Jet.com brand. And if you look back to 2016, that was an acquisition they made. Uh, it was, a, I think, a $3.3 billion acquisition. Most of that was cash. I think there was a little bit of, of Walmart uh, equity tied to it. But generally speaking, that was just an all-cash acquisition. It, and I think at the time, even, we, we, we recognized that was really less about the Jet brand. And it was more about getting that talent in-house to be able to build out an e-commerce operation and build out an omni-channel operation uh, where they were having some challenges really responding to, to all of all of the uh, the lines that Amazon had been throwing down at the time, uh, so I, I wouldn't read into phasing out the Jet.com brand as a failure by by any stretch. I mean, I think honestly, we were all just kind of expecting that to happen. It, it doesn't mean that uh, what they acquired from that deal is being phased out. It ultimately just means that they've integrated that acquisition, uh, you know, to their satisfaction, and I think the numbers bear that out. Last thing before we move on, uh, I was talking to Bill Barker yesterday. We were talking about retail sort of in the wake of the JCPenney bankruptcy news. And I floated the idea that among the activity we could see in the retail industry the rest of this year <coughs> and into 2021 is not just more bankruptcies of smaller retailers, but also potentially larger retailers like Target and Walmart making acquisitions either of certain brands or just retailers outright. When I look at this latest quarter from Walmart and how they are spending their money, that is clearly not top of mind for them. They are very much focused on everything they are doing with Walmart. And I don't think McMillan and his team are necessarily looking to bring anyone else in. No, and I, I don't. I, I agree. I don't think they really need to be worried about something like that. I mean, they even mentioned on the call they said our supply chain is amongst the most capable in the world. But even in this environment, they noted that they've stretched their supply chain. Now, I mean, I think this particular 
time in history. I mean, this is proving to be one of the most stressful times for uh, supply chain management, right? For for big supply chains, I think companies are getting up there and really have they're having the opportunity to prove their metal. And I think in this case, you know, what we're seeing in a very difficult situation is that Walmart has been able to pass that test with flying colors thus far. So even you've got management acknowledging the fact that this has been a stressful environment and they're stretching their supply chain. And, and you look at their physical presence, right? I mean. They they definitely have one of the more compelling supply chains around the world, um, and I don't think they need really to make any any bolt on acquisitions to to support that. I think more than anything, uh, you know, like the Jet dot com acquisition, uh, you know, was was represented a few years back. I mean, that that was more about bringing an additional capability, a new way of looking at retail beyond just uh, you know the the physical presence that they've been so successful with up until this point going forward. Uh, I mean, they, they really do seem like they have a great blueprint laid out. They were relying uh, it, it, during the quarter in the U.S. They were rolling out that ship from store. They're temporarily right now fulfilling orders placed on Walmart.com through about 2,500 of their stores around the country. Uh, so, I mean, they they have all of the pieces in place, I think. And now they have the knowledge and the expertise, uh, you know, in how to make all of those pieces work together and in harmony. And, and you got to figure if they're doing this good of a job in, in what is is you know a considerably tough time, then I think they will have a lot of lessons to take out of this, so that when things get a little bit easier, they will be one of the companies I think that'll be able to continue to sort of lead the way. Again, it's not going to be just them, right? I mean, you named off a lot of good companies with Target and Amazon. I mean, those are companies that are going to be a part of this, a part of this as well. But but uh, it's it's nice to see that that Walmart, Doug McMillan have done such a good job, not only remaining relevant, but really uh, helping to sort of blaze the trail for this new retail future that, that, we're, uh, that we're skating into. So, shares of Walmart up a little bit today on this latest report. Shares of Home Depot down a little bit. Uh, kind of a similar story in that first quarter sales for Home Depot up 7%. But just like Walmart, they are dealing with higher costs because they are also uh, looking to reward employees uh, with bonuses, with higher pay, and also increased uh, cleaning costs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as much as with Walmart, I mean, when we're talking about um, big retailers that that are worthy of investment dollars, uh, Home Depot certainly uh, falls into that category. Again, I mean, they've they've had a respectable year. Um, if you look at the last five years, clearly the stock has been a, a winner and, and a good one for investors. Uh, and, and I think that is going to continue to be the case because much like Walmart, they are doing a very good job of helping dictate, of helping shape this new retail environment. Granted, they're a little bit I guess more of a, a, a specialized retailer in, in in you know home home repair and home improvement, uh, but but still obviously as we've seen that's a massive market and and so uh, when when we look to see how they've quantified those operating expenses that that have uh, hurt profitability in the near term they they quantified that to to the tune of about sixty cents per share for the quarter in helping employees during this stretch and helping alter business operations and helping just deal with with the general chaos that's come from this. So, uh, you know, I mean, operating expenses were up 17.1% for the year. I mean, 
and you back that out, and they actually brought in two dollars and sixty-eight cents uh, earnings per share this quarter, which was was really a tremendous performance in my opinion. Um, if we look at those comp numbers, you look at total comps; they were up. 6.4%. U.S. comps were up 7.5%. If you go back a year ago, those numbers were 2.5% and 3% respectively. So, clearly benefiting from some of the tailwinds created by the current situation. But this was a good, I, I dare say, great business before this all started. And I think this is only giving them the opportunity to really prove that. And, and once things start to get back to, to normal, at least you know as normal as we can hope, uh, that, that market is still going to exist. I mean, we're still going to have a, a, a housing market here in the United States that is aging very quickly. And, and a lot of these houses need home improvements. We're going to have uh, people that have been holding houses off of, the, off of the market, putting houses on the market. That's going to result in uh, a lot of spend there as well. So, again, just a business we really like here at The Fool, one that's proven itself for a long time. Uh, and, and, you know, you're getting $6.00. You're getting $6 a year just to hang on to a share of this company. It sounds like a pretty good deal to me, Chris. <laughs> One, it absolutely does. One thing I, I, I saw in, in the report that I was curious about, wanted to get your take on, was when Home Depot talked about how they've canceled major promotions that they had <laughs> planned, um, sort of you know Black Friday-style events. Um, that caught my attention just because I don't think of Home Depot as a company that relies on promotion. Having said that, they are one of the steadiest advertisers across television, radio. I mean, they spend a lot of money on advertising, but I don't, I've never really thought of them as sort of an event, promotional event driven business. Have you? Um, no, but I, I think that probably is just that goes back to to a point you made there, in that they they do they do uh, offer up such a consistent advertising experience. I mean, you always hear their commercials on the radio, and you always see them on TV, and so the ubiquity there, you probably just don't even think about the fact that they're throwing in a Memorial Day weekend sale or a Black Friday sale. I mean, that's just sort of that's language. Maybe they they integrate into into the advertisement, but yeah, they're not really dependent on that because they're because their market uh, it, the market that they pursue is just is is so reliable. Um, now, with that said, I mean, I also think a lot of these companies are probably going to be able to pull back on a lot of that promotional language in the near term because. Just the fact that life is going to get back to normal in these com- in these you know countries or states are going to start opening opening their economies back up. That's going to be like promotion in and of itself, right? I mean, you don't need to add in promotional language to you know spur customers to get back out there and shop and spend because so many people are ready to get back out of their houses and just do something, shop, spend a little bit. So I think I think they they don't have to worry so much about that. And, and rather, you know, they they can focus their message more around things like safety and 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 being you know part of this team. You know, we're all in this together. You hear that a lot. I mean, and, and I think that they can they can pull back on maybe some of those uh, you know some of that promotional language affiliated with with you know specific events or weekends and and then just focus on the greater message and, and I think a lot of these retailers and, and Walmart and Home Depot you go through those earnings releases I, th- I think they've done a very good job of of incorporating all of the stakeholders in the language that they're using in these reports I mean they really are talking about how 
it, it's not just about business. I mean, it really does transcend business. It's about the employees. It's about the country. It's about people. And they're trying to be a part of, of the solution, not only on the retail side, but on the safety side, on helping everybody kind of get back up and running. And so I think the more they can focus messages around that and the less on you know individual promotional uh, stretches of time, that probably creates a little brand equity there that, that doesn't hurt over the long haul. We have a new CEO for TikTok, the uh, <laughs> video company, uh, Kevin Mayer, who uh, was longtime executive at Disney, clearly did not get the top job when Bob Iger stepped down. Uh, Kevin Mayer was head of Disney streaming. He oversaw the acquisition of BAM Tech, which is the company that makes you know this, the streaming <coughs> tech that powers <coughs> Disney Plus. This is a good hire by TikTok, and the first thing I thought when I saw it was, oh, yeah, so TikTok is absolutely going to be going public at some point. <laughs> yeah, they may. I mean, I guess TikTok is, is a, it's a, it's owned by a, a bigger company, so I mean, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know what the vision is there. I don't, are, you, are you a TikTok user, Chris? I'm not a TikTok user, are you? Uh, I am not. They are the, the parent company of TikTok is a company called ByteDance, which uh, I've seen some private market valuations for ByteDance at around eighty to ninety billion dollars. So if those are accurate, I mean t TikTok is sort of the jewel in the portfolio for ByteDance. So yeah. uh, it's it's not unreasonable to think that it could get spun out. Probably not this year, but next year or the year after, at maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to twenty billion dollars, um, depending on how valuations are uh, when it finally does go public. But no, I am not a TikTok person. Uh, I'm not the target demo for that. I don't think you are either. I think our kids are, and it's <laughs> yeah. you know it's interesting because it the thing about TikTok, and maybe you had this same reaction the first time you saw it. My reaction when I first saw a TikTok video was, oh, it's like Vine. Mm, it's yeah, like Vine videos, which were popular and then got killed for some reason. And, and um, uh, Kevin Mayer, look, he wasn't going to stick around at Disney. This is probably just no. as, I mean, I, not to say that this is great for Disney that he left, but he wanted the top job. He didn't get it. If you're Bob Chapek, you probably don't want, you're probably happy for Kevin Mayer that he has found this opportunity. Maybe so, yeah, and and I mean, I you know maybe this is a good thing ultimately for Disney because uh, you know one of the other uh, effects of this is that Rebecca Campbell will be taken over for Mayor's position on the streaming division, and she has, has has served as the president of the company's Disneyland Resort in California here, um, and so you know perhaps that that perhaps that ultimately is a good thing as well. So congratulations, Miss Campbell, for for that uh, that promotion there. Um, you know, I think for me the first thing that comes up to my, that comes to mind whenever I think about TikTok, and, and given that what we know about social today and how social has, has evolved is, I mean, this, this has me asking two questions. So after TikTok, what's the next big thing? Because it does feel like it's just always about what's the next big thing. And TikTok feels like the next big thing right now. And when is Facebook going to try to acquire it? Because it does feel like Facebook at least tries to acquire everything that they think is the next big thing. And, you know, honestly, that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of what they're doing. Uh, we saw that they just acquired Giphy, which, I, you know, that's not really the next big thing. It's just a money-losing GIF engine um, or GIF engine, however you subscribe. Uh, but I, I think that it's interesting to me, this line of work, this move here, you know, we've talked a lot about Iger's replacement. 
and ultimately bringing uh, Bob Chapek in. And I think they did the right thing in bringing a parks person in. And, and that feeling has been reinforced recently. Uh, we've been watching the the Imagineering series on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if you've, you've been able to see that. I, I highly recommend it, even if you're not, you know, the Disney you know, aficionado or it's just, it's really enlightening to see how this Imagineering um, side of the business works. And you get some good history there too. And, and last, uh, last, a couple nights ago, we actually watched uh, the, the, the episode that focused on the Michael Eisner years, a couple of episodes that really focused on the Michael, on the Michael Eisner years. It was really interesting to see how his um, tenure with, with the company unfolded because he really had it rolling uh, early on. He had that, that, uh, that right-hand man and President Frank Wells, they were really, it, it seemed like they could do no wrong. And then they hit this point. Mr. Wells was uh, unfortunately involved in a helicopter accident. He died. Uh, Eisner started making some some questionable moves, and, and all of these questionable moves really revolved around parks. Now, granted, they were mainly international parks, but not all of them. Uh, but but ultimately, we just saw kind of as time went on, Eisner didn't really knock the ball out of the park when it came to building these parks experiences. And we know how important those parks are for the company, not only from a from a financial perspective, but really that's the most that's the most public reaching part of this company. That's the experience. Everything kind of flows from that parks experience. You've either been to the parks or that's one thing you really want to do as a kid when you're growing up. And as a parent, you want to take your kids there because you want to do everything you can for your kids. Uh, so so it just it shows how important the park system is. And I think it really it shows that they made a good move in, move in bringing Chapek in. And, and ultimately, I think that means for Mr. Mayor that this just wasn't really going to be a, a place where he could advance to, to do ultimately what he wanted to do. TikTok seems to be certainly more in line with his skill set, um, you know. So I, I think that's probably something that worked out well for everyone. But I really do feel like there was a neat history lesson there in that Imagineering series, uh, going back to the Eisner years. Maybe, maybe part of that point in time helped dictate some of the decisions that were made today, steering this company forward for the next 10, 20, 30 years. The other thing I thought of when I saw this news was about Snap. And how yep. when Snap first went public, you and I, I think it's fair to say we were spe- uh, skeptical about, about Snap's prospects as a public company. It is hung in there. Um, yep. It's still trading for below its, uh, its IPO price. But <laughs> that said, it is still a $25 billion company. So um, it, it is going to be interesting to see what happens next with TikTok. Do they make some additional moves that sort of telegraph um, an IPO in 2021 or, or perhaps beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. I think with snap, um, snap, I think very much like Twitter. I mean, you're starting to see that these really aren't the greatest businesses in the world on their own. Um, and, and I say that as, as someone I, you know, I still own, uh, you know, a small position in Twitter and, you know, I've been noodling actually just kind of selling that and, and moving on to, to where I feel like maybe it, my investment dollars would be, would be better served. Uh, because ultimately when it comes to this social space, you know, it really is all about size and it's about having as many of those, um, platforms under your umbrella as you can. And it's, it's not to say that what Twitter and what snap uh, ha- have done up to this point 
you know, it, it's not to say that that's not uh, something you want to tip your cap to because it is. I mean, these are billion dollar businesses, of course. Um, but but I think they have a lot of challenges in the in the immediate future, just based on the fact that we're always focused on what is next. And I think for Snap. You know, you start looking at TikTok and you, you start wondering how much how much traffic is TikTok going to take away from Snap? I think that's that's a very uh, that's a very similar audience uh, there. And, and so, yeah, I mean, what the future holds for those two businesses is going to be very interesting. I think Facebook is really in the catbird seat there and in, in that they are so big and they have so many different um, social platforms under their umbrella. Uh, but but yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that Mr. Mayor is going to have a lot of fun helping uh, dictate. TikTok's future. And I think that we're also going to see, given the questions that revolve around TikTok from a security perspective, I mean, you have to at least acknowledge the fact that there are some questions uh, regarding security, the nature of the platform, spying and whatnot. I mean, you've seen that before. And, and, and certainly, uh, our, our US government wanted to bring uh, executives from TikTok to testify. And they, they they said, yeah, I mean, sorry, we can't do that. All of our executives, uh, you know, don't don't live in the U.S. We live in China. Well, you know what? Now your CEO, well, you got you got an American CEO. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. If maybe the politicians don't want to get out there and, and try to to uh, p- push these guys around a little bit in in the near term, and that presents a risk as well. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.